The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Welcome to the Romantic Truth Podcast. You may also visit us at romantictruth.org or on Facebook at Romantic Truth in the search. Now, without further ado, introducing Jorzen, the host of Romantic Truth from our studio in Las Vegas. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth Las Vegas, and we're going to talk about revealing vulnerabilities, insecurities, and addictions to a partner. When should you do it? How you should you do it? Should you go through a third party? Or should you tell the partner yourself? Now, the one thing you have to realize by telling someone about a certain situation or challenge that you're dealing with, it should be based on an immediate threat or a threat that will come into existence very soon if you guys were to get into a relationship. Now, one thing as a rule of thumb, anything that's on public record that's pertinent, you should disclose it. What do I mean by that? You have an arrest warrant, as an example. You have a restraining order on a crazy ex. Child custody issue where the other party is now trying to resort to violence or giving you threats. These are things that will impact you going on a date with someone else. Here's another sad idea that you got to consider. That person that may be angry at you feels as though they can do more damage by the innocent party you're with than they would with you. Taking something away from you to make you suffer. Now, another thing you have to keep in mind about this. A lot of people omit these pending situations. They just want to go out and have a good time because at that point, they're being selfish. They are more important than your safety. Now, what you have to realize with whatever adversarial party they're dealing with, they may have a different perspective on how they would treat that person than they would the party they're with on that date. Let me give you an example. There was a gentleman that years ago, and this was in North Carolina, I believe, that obsessed over this woman. I've talked about it in the past. And he had a lawnmower business, you know, like a lawn care business. And he wanted to do her lawn. Basically, he wanted to get close to her. He gave her his phone number and everything. And she said she already had someone to do her lawn. Well. He wasn't going to just let that sit. He had to do something about it, as he thought. So he made sure that her gardener got injured. The man had his fingers cut off. So she calls this guy that she met at a girlfriend's birthday party while they were out. Somebody she really didn't have any 
romantic interest in. He comes over, he does her lawn, and he does extra in order to impress this lady. And she told him up front, hey, I'm not going out with you, we'll be friends. Uh, I'll pay you for your yard work. And he didn't want to get any pay for a while, and she said, no, I'm gonna pay you. She had three children, and she was looking for someone to start a relationship with, but he was not the one. He was a little bit too forward, a little bit too aggressive, plus he was not somebody she was interested in. Well, she went on a date with a gentleman. And after they left the restaurant, she saw his vehicle. And the guy was taking her home and she said, no, let's go around the block once. So they went around the block, thought all was clear. They pull in the driveway to let her out. His car gets rammed by the crazy lawn care guy. And the lawn care guy shoots the guy in the back of the head. Doesn't kill him. I think he got him in the neck. The woman gets out of the car, trying to get to the house so that her kids wouldn't be harmed. And he shoots her. He gets her down on the ground and he beats her with the pistol, telling her he loved her and that she was his. Now, she never once informed the guy she went out with that she was having these problems. He had to find out the hard way and he had children of his own. Well, he survived the gunshot. I think they got him in the neck, if I'm correct, neck or the ear. And so what happened, they became friends, platonic friends. And the guy, of course, went to prison for attempted murder. So it's always wise to tell somebody what's going on prior to getting them involved in your situation, because it's your situation. And you have to watch it, because some people can actually turn around and sue you civilly if they're injured. And because of your negligence, you expose them to a specific danger. If a guy were to write a threatening note to you, and then you still go on a date with this guy, and the guy tells you not to go on a date with him, and you go, and something happens, oh, they're going to probably be looking at you in civil court, even though the other person did the crime. You expose them to the environment and the situation with knowledge that it could take place without informing the other party. So be very careful with that. If it's something that you have in your life at that moment that you know would jeopardize that person, don't expose it to them. Don't expose them to it. Let me give you another situation that I personally faced. Now I told many of you about the woman that I took out on a date. Did not know she had all of these traffic tickets she had a bench warrant. And she insisted on driving her car that night on the date. I wanted to drive mine, but I went on and drove hers. I'm going down the street, make it to the other street. As soon as we got there, 
we get lit up with the red and blues. And I'm thinking, okay, I didn't run any red lights, I didn't do anything crazy. They wanted ID, insurance papers, and all the rest. This woman opens the glove box, and there's nothing but envelopes from the city of Los Angeles, all those tickets she had paid. Come back, they had a bench warrant for her. So my date gets taken away in handcuffs. The vehicle got impounded. I had to go, get back home. They gave me a ride over, back over to the girl's house, and I got my car. Now, the interesting thing about this, she never mentioned anything about her situation on that level. She was one of these women talking about she was an entrepreneur, talking about she had everything on lockdown and she was looking for a man that had his shit together, she would say. You'll run across a lot of these hypocrites, fellas, I'm telling you. See, one thing that many guys will not do, ladies, is tell you he's got his shit together. A man never has his shit together. As long as he's dependent on somebody else to cut him a check or give him some money, he's never got his shit together. So that's a fallacy in itself. You don't even have your shit together if you work in somebody's job. You don't have your shit together even if you have your own business because it depends on the market, it depends on your customers, and any given time, you could lose your ass. Please understand that. Now, he may be comfortable with what he has going on, but understand, it doesn't take much to fuck up a budget. Not much at all. Now, other things you will need to consider. If there's something that's going to impact the relationship in a little bit longer view if you guys are together. Things such as SCDs, those kind of things. You have a little bit of time. You don't have to do that on the first or second date, but before you're intimate, you need to discuss that. Because if you have knowledge of a sexually transmitted disease in certain states, and you don't tell that person, and that person winds up with it, again, they could take you into civil court. It's much easier to tell the truth up front. I know it sounds compromising as hell. I know it sounds embarrassing. But you'd rather do it. And then a lot of people will say, well, you know, I'm going to do it. The first thing, you know, I don't have shit, so they can't sue me for anything. If they get a judgment against you, your life is going to be hell. Because any kind of money that's coming your way is going their way, unless it's something under the table. Well, that shit gets old as you get older. That street money gets very old. So you don't want to put yourself in that bind. It will save you. Now, another thing too. If you have any kind of anger problems, violence, breaking shit, throwing things, beating people up. You need to start working on that before you get into a relationship, seriously. And there's some people 
people will always say somebody else made me do it. My ex made me mad and she made me do it. That's no excuse in court. Get you some help. And I know it sounds embarrassing to tell a woman, well, you know, I'm going through anger management classes. Well, why is that? Well, I'm trying to learn how to control my anger. That gives her the option to either support you in that endeavor, and what she'll be looking for is improvement, or to say, I don't want to deal with it. But see, what a lot of people like to do is to take the choice away from an individual and have it to their advantage. And that's a bad move. Because your relationship is built on a lie. And it's not going to go anywhere. Because the foundation is messed up. So those are things that you may need to consider in the initial stages. Being honest. So, the priorities would be anything that's going to be on a public record that a person can find out before they go out with you on a date any threats that are intimate. The other thing, imminent. The other thing is that you're going to have to look at it from the perspective of are there any things that are going to be a threat to the relationship if we were to advance and go forward and you need to disclose those. It's also to protect you. And don't be afraid to ask that partner of yours if they have something that may be threatening. Now, here's the thing I will tell you. Married people are notorious for marginalizing the reaction of their partner. They may lie to you and tell you they're married. I mean, they're single. And what you have to remember is you have to hold them accountable for that lie they told you about being married about not being married when they are and then if you were to find out they'll say oh well you know my husband doesn't care or my wife doesn't care you don't know what you don't know that as the other party you do not know what the situation is you're only going by hearsay that's all you got so that person can sit there and tell you, oh, well, he doesn't get violent. And you go on a date with her, he shows up, and he's violent. Well, he never acted like that before. Well, there are a lot of things that never happened like whatever before that has happened. We have to deal with that. But we don't think of it that way, but we have to. As many times as I've been exposed to volatile situations without knowing the full story behind some of the women I've gone out with, it puts you in a very, very dangerous situation. The woman I told you about that I went down to San Diego with and had that wonderful weekend with, she had lied to me and told me she was single and omitted it for a long time. You already know what I am. She would always talk. I'm single. And when I returned her back to the apartment, there's a man standing there with a gun. 
You know I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm in the front seat of a car. Seat belted in. He's walking to the car. Got his gun. Asking me what am I doing with his wife. And she runs to him. Didn't run to me. Which I'm glad she didn't. Oh, honey, he means nothing. He means nothing. We're just friends. He means nothing. And she's trying to take his attention away from me. And I told him I didn't know. And he believed me. Fellas, you have to watch this. Because these people that are going for relationships, they don't give a shit about you. Ladies, same thing. If somebody wants to be with you, they don't care what the consequences are when they do this. They really don't. Because the way they see it, everything's going to normalize and stay the same. But that's all they know. They don't know how that person's going to react. They don't know what that person's going to do. They're just trying to tell you something that's going to pacify you. So you don't want to put yourself in that predicament. We'll talk more in just a moment. Now, of course, the question is, why should you reveal your vulnerabilities to a partner? Well, revealing those vulnerabilities actually conveys trust. You see, what happens is this. When a couple is together, they form like a little A-frame. Where? Part of their insecurities leans on the other ones. That's what holds the whole relationship up. Now, as I've told you, you want to use friendship as a foundation. That's the bedrock of your relationship. And then you want the relationship on top of it. And that's where some of the other vulnerabilities may surface. You may tell that partner some of the things that you like and dislike or afraid of. Now, to get a preliminary view of that, remember the four questions I would always tell you to ask or categories. Who are you? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are your, um, what drives you? Or what are your, uh, what is your purpose? And the last one, of course, what are your future intentions? But you won't ask them so directly, but you'll ask them in a roundabout way. So what are the things you fear the most out of life in general? If that person says nothing, you know they're lying. What are your weaknesses? Do you like horror movies? Do you like this or that? You want to find out at that point how truthful are they with vulnerabilities. That's the reason why you ask that question. And it also gives you a sense of their self-awareness. If they say, oh, I ain't afraid of nothing. Uh, no, I, I like everything. That person's not self-aware. That person's in denial. Because there are some things that you like, some things you don't like, and there's some things that you 
tolerate some things you don't. You won't ask them what are your strengths and weaknesses, but you'll say something like, well, I like romantic comedies. Do you like romantic comedies? And ladies, your father say, yeah, I like romantic comedies. But then if you say, well, you know, I like horror movies also. I like horror movies. If it's a situation where he's saying yes to everything you say, you got something to hold him to. Because there could be a possibility. More than likely a person that's being very, very um, patronizing. They're going to go and agree with everything you say. And as women, you already know when a man does that, you know he ain't about shit. That's a red flag for you. You know it. So, you're trying to find out what is important to him, whether he's self-aware. Now, the revelation of vulnerabilities and insecurities is difficult for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like doing that because they feel naked, they feel weak, they feel vulnerable. However, you're not going to be hypervigilant and protective all your life, are you? You got to let your, your guard down at some point. But you want to see whether or not this person is the right person to let your guard down in front of. You have to go with your logic, your gut feeling, and your emotions in that order. What this means primarily is logically, you got to see what sense would it make to share this with this person? Can I trust this person with what I'm about to disclose to them? A lot of times we don't say that. First thing we do is blindly say, well, you know, I, this happened or that happened or this happened. And that may be the very thing that repulses that person. So you want to talk to them about it. Let's see what they have to say. And if they say, well, you know, I, I can't be with a smoker. I can't be with this kind of person. Well, you know, then don't try to push it. Don't try to make that relationship come to fruition. Because if there are some absolutes on their side where they're not going to deal with certain things, you haven't lost anything. What you've actually done was gain the knowledge that that person is not for you. And you'd be wasting your time, spending your time with them. Wasting your resources. Now, the person has to be comfortable. And you know, I talk about this a lot, and especially when it comes to women. Because ladies, you have control over how we interact with you. You have control over the way you present yourself. The way you present yourself is the way a man will treat you. That's the way it works. But see, it all starts intrinsically with the way you treat yourself. You treat yourself well, it reflects and resonates. And that man will step up his game to be with you. Think about it, ladies. Think about it right now. You wear perfume, you wear makeup, you wear all these different accoutrements, right? To make yourself more appealing, more feminine. Now here's the thing. Even if you guys took all of that away, guess what would happen? Men would adapt to the way you present yourself. You're not going to have a guy come up, oh, you need to wear some makeup. You're not going to see that. The reason why you see it now is because 
a lot of women do it. And so what happens with a man's expectations, especially if he lives in an urban area, a city? Because women make themselves up to go to work, that kind of thing, whereas if she's in a rural community, she may not need to put on makeup to go and feed her horses. So there's a whole different distinction on that. But it doesn't take away anything from you as a woman. You're still who men desire. Now, another thing to keep in mind too is this. Some of you will go around and say, well, I need these accessories in order to feel beautiful. And here's where a lot of you make your mistakes. There are some men who see you beautiful as you are naturally. And you don't need all of this stuff. And here's the thing you have to understand. Those women that get comfortable with the fact that this man admires them just for being who they are, that's one insecurity they put in their back pocket. If you go on any social media platform, what is the first thing a lot of these women will tell you? I just woke up. I'm not wearing any makeup. I just got the kids off the school, etc., etc. They're making up an excuse why they don't look the way they do. Well, here's the thing. If they really thought about it, before they turned on that camera to make that video, they would have addressed that. But, as they saw it, something was more important than their insecurity at that time, making that video, right? Because they could have easily said, well, after the kids go to school, I'll just clean myself up and then make the video. But what they're doing is they're humanizing themselves in a way, but they're doing it in an awkward way. Instead of just firing up the camera and not apologizing and say what they're going to say. But they're worried about the criticism. They're worried about the ridicule. They're worried about the backlash. Girl, you need to go somewhere and put some makeup on. Now, what I would ask, when you woke up that morning, did your man ask you to put some makeup on before getting the kids out the door? More than likely not. We follow your guide when it comes down to your personal appearance. It's up to you ladies to decide on how you want to go out that day. As men, we accept whatever you bring us. Now, if the man's not attracted to you, he's just not attracted to you. And that's the way it goes. Now, there's some men that will say, well, you know, I can only be with a lady if she makes herself up or does her hair, does her this or does her that. But you have to remember one thing. If he has to ask for all of this like he's ordering a sandwich, what does that say about you when you don't have that stuff on? Part of the problem that many of you ladies have is your insecurities are fostered by other women and by the fashion industry. And that's what sets the expectations for these men. And that's what you have to come to grips with too. The men are only following your lead there. 
I remember the first time I saw Monica without her makeup. She looked just as beautiful without it as she did with it. And the first thing out of her mouth, I'm not wearing makeup today. And I said, who said you had to? And she's like, nobody really. I said, so you're doing that for someone else's benefit and not even your own. You're comfortable with what you have with the features that Vito and Victoria gave you when you were born. And she was like, well, yeah, I guess you got a point there. Because, see, she was confident in who she was, but she wasn't confident in who people perceived her to be after she left home. That was the problem. Now, So we have to get past that. Hair is another issue with women. Unmanageable. As men, we don't care about that. There are men that date bald women, women with short hair, women who have alopecia. They do it. I had a friend of mine, he dated, his girlfriend had alopecia. But here is the thing. Every time they went out somewhere, you know what she would do? On occasion, she would put on a wig. And those men would go apeshit. He used to get in a mini fight over her. Because these guys would be disrespectful, try to come up and talk to her while he was there. And so one night, she came in and she was bald. You know what? It didn't stop the men at all. They still came. It all depends on how you perceive yourself. That confidence you have in yourself is going to resonate. Now, another thing too. Physical insecurities is one thing. We have men that are physically insecure. They're short. They may not have the muscles. And so some will overcompensate in other areas. They may be comedically funny. They may be a person who's always serious and trying to act like they're hardcore in order to measure up. Little man syndrome, those kind of things. All those are insecurities based on something they don't have. Hell, I'll admit, at one point I was insecure because all of my friends had muscles and shit. And here I am, slim. Well, to show you how I made fun of my insecurity, what I did one night, I bought this jacket at the store and it had these foam uh, padding muscles in them. And mind you, it was damn near 97 degrees that night in Los Angeles. And I'm in a nightclub wearing this leather jacket and the girls are, are you going to take that off? Because I know you hot. It's making me hot. And of course, when they felt on the phone, they said, those are the softest muscles I ever felt in my life. They started laughing. And I said, well, you know, I'm not like the rest of these guys. I don't have all these muscles. And they were like, man, please. Grab my hand, take me out to the dance floor. But see, what it comes down to 
it comes down to you embracing that insecurity you have and not have it so threatening. And once you've done that, that exudes the confidence. Not only that, at some point you could actually laugh at it. And I know people say that's self-deprecating humor, but still, you're addressing it and it's not being threatening to you. And that's the key. That is the key. I'll never forget <laughs> a friend of mine. And Joey, if you're out there, fella, hope you're still doing well. Joey was the most direct person I ever met in my life when it came down to talking to women. And one night we were out at the Chaparral, this club that was in South Central Los Angeles. It was a small little dive. And there was this thick woman there. And so he asked her to dance. She said, no, uh, I don't feel like it. I'm too big. I'm the only big girl in here. And she was really shy about that. And Joey looked around. Joey leaned over to the table. And he told her, he said, I will fuck the fat off you, woman. Come on, let's go dance. And she was, of course, taken aback, but she giggled a bit. And she wanted to dance with him. And then he told her, he said, don't you ever tell me that you're too big. He says, I'm on the floor with you, and if anybody laughs, let me know. Nobody laughed. But she had a hard time accepting herself. She didn't have the confidence. And Joey wound up dating that woman for about two years. They were thick as thieves. He loved her to death. And she wasn't the most attractive woman. She had short hair. Not to say short hair will make you unattractive. It doesn't. But by the beauty standards that's set by these uh, marketing companies, she would not have been on the cover of Vogue. But here's the thing. He loved her. And she loved him. The reason why they broke up, I found out later. He wanted to have children, and she was dead set against having children. She didn't want to have any children. And it had a lot to do with the way she was brought up. And she, un unfortunately, allowed that to color her judgment as far as rearing her own kids, because she grew up in a very, very repressive household. And he thought it was just something minor that they would get through. But she was determined not to have any children. And he really wanted to have children with this woman. Really loved her. But he wanted to have kids. You'll have situations like that. But one thing that she benefited from was that he helped pull her out of that insecurity. And sometimes people may need an extra hand with that. We'll talk more about it in a moment. Now, one of the things that come up is how to 
introducing that security. Let's say, for instance, you're afraid of horror movies. Well, you can ask him, do you like horror movies? The guy says, yeah, I like them. I'm afraid of horror movies. I don't like them. Why not? Oh, they just make me nervous. Then, fellas, you have the opportunity to say, well, you don't have to worry about it. It's only on the screen and I'll protect you. So nothing's going to happen. That builds our confidence. It could very well be something a little bit more serious. She could say something to the effect of, well, I'm not into drinking or alcohol. And a guy may drink. And they says, oh, well, maybe we can work on a compromise. I won't drink around you. Oh, really? Yeah. See, one thing you have to remember, whatever insecurity you have, when you express it to a person, they usually will be sensitive about it. And they'll help you through it. I went out with a lady that was legally blind. And when I say legally blind, I mean she couldn't see a thing. Gorgeous woman. And her family held her back. My brother had a talk with me one night and he says, you know, I know you and my sister could have a good relationship together. He says, but before you guys get started in that direction, I'm sorry, she's ours. And we want to take care of her. And what it did is the same thing it had done in the past. The family had denied her the opportunity to have relationships because she had lost her sight. And so they became very protective of her, especially her sister. You're only going to take advantage of my sister. And I said, I said, I have glaucoma. I'm going to be in her condition one day. Well, that's too bad. But you're not dating my sister. Took this woman out. She hadn't been on a dance floor in years. Said she could see. She had never been on a dance floor. I had her on the dance floor. We were dancing, cha-cha, doing all that stuff. But the family thought that I would take advantage of her. Just like they thought every man would take advantage of her. And I told her brother that night, I said, well, what are you going to do when she's still around and you guys are no longer in the picture? She's going to resent all of you for denying her the opportunity to live a full life. Yeah, well, we won't need to talk about that. Thing is, y'all ain't gonna be together. Mom, dad, auntie, uncle, everybody else, they formed the wagons around her. I said, this battle is not worth fighting. And over the years, she talked to me and told me how much resentment and regret she had because of that. And they wound up passing her from one household to the next. Last I heard, she was in Detroit. 
Very nice looking lady. Nice age, nice size. But they put her in a category where they said, we have to protect her. And they were too protective. So she really couldn't live. And you run across those situations as well. And she told me about how protective her family was when we went on the first date together. Her brother and sister and all the rest of the family didn't get wind of it until later. And once they found out, boy, did they clamp down. It was just like I was dating somebody that was underage or something. And she was 29. But these are the things you have to contend with. She had accepted her insecurity as far as blindness, but the family could not accept their insecurities based on her. They never once considered her feelings. And this is something that you may run into from time to time. Now, what are the common insecurities for women? Hair length, weight, physical appearance, and skin color. When I say physical appearance, I'm talking about shape. You look at all these women going out getting Brazilian butt lifts. For what? When I was growing up, the majority of black women that I knew, the majority of women, here's the way it went. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't start seeing Caucasian women with nice asses until I moved to California. In Mississippi, the butts were flat, many of them. Black women had the hips and the booty. then again, you got to consider during that time, they weren't putting the steroids and everything in the food as they are now. So these women are developing. Doesn't matter about race now. And that's the way it is. We have a lot of steroids that are given to the animals that we consume that eventually get into us. I never forget when I was little, and then when my dick got bigger, I was damn near ready to show everybody, and I knew, you know, that was not proper. I was so excited I didn't know what to do. I was like, damn, now I can fit inside a grown woman. <laughs> and I started thinking of all them damn women my mom used to have as her friends, and I was like, damn, my mom had some fine-ass friends back in the day. And she wondered why I always hung around her. <laughs> I don't want you to grow up being mama. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Just keep your friends coming over. But here's the thing. Yeah, I was managed back then. But here's the thing, though. I knew at that point that insecurities was something that I had to deal with. I remember my friends, Constance McCarty and Sam Grant. They used to play basketball over at Constance's house. I couldn't play basketball with a damn. I tried a jump shot one time. Motherfucking ball went all the way in the front yard on the street. And I 
I'm like, damn, my game is fucked up. Wait a minute, I don't have a game. Then I started watching TV more. Dave DeBusher, Don Havlicek, Jerry West. I started seeing those guys play. People that actually would be older by the time I was able to really get in my full stride. Dr. J. When I saw Dr. J, I said, shit, I want to be like him. And then when I saw Turquoise, his wife, I was like, oh, hell yeah. He can fly like that and then have a fine woman? I remember I was watching one night the, uh, who is he playing for at that time? I think he had just gotten out of the ABA and was playing with the New Jersey Nets because the New Jersey Nets used to be an ABA team. I remember watching him in college. I mean, not in college, but yeah, in college. He was playing at the University of Massachusetts. Then he went on to uh, to play for the Virginia Squires. For those of you who don't know it, there used to be an ABA, American Basketball Association, and what is now the NBA, which is a National Basketball Association. The NBA was larger, ABA was a smaller uh, league. They had teams like the Buffalo Braves. Uh, Sacramento Kings were back then the Kansas City Omaha Kings. Uh, you had the Virginia Squires. You had the Buffalo Braves. The Seattle Supersonics. Um, who else did you have? The Milwaukee Bucks, they've been around forever. The Knicks have been around forever. The Celtics, same thing. In fact, because there were guys dunking in the NBA, a lot of them were black guys, Dr. J, uh, people like uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That Red Auerbach wanted the three-point shot. And I remember when that first came into fruition. That was supposed to compensate for the black guys that could dunk. And then when Dr. J got with the 76ers, they had a, this guy by the name of Daryl Dawkins, fresh out of high school in Florida. He was 6'11". And he had a gorilla dunk, and he used to break all the backboards. Darrell was no joke. But George McGinnis, he used to play in the ABA. So it was a good time during that time. So basically, I had to learn from watching them play. And that's how I learned how to get a jump shot. There was a guy by the name of Phil Chenier. He used to play for the Washington Bullets. Washington Bullets, which is now the Washington Wizards. Well, Phil Chenier, he could hit from God knows where. Kevin Porter was another one. That was no joke. And with these players, I learned so much by watching them on TV. And then one day I went to a Jackson State basketball game with Purvis Short. Many of you may not know him. I am indirectly associated with him and that his cousin married my cousin. But Purvis, he was a very good player. He went on to Golden State, turned it out, did very well for himself. Had a jump shot that wouldn't quit. So, he had these players. And Constance and Sam showed me how to do certain things and then I went out and tried for the team and I've already talked about this before. But what I'm getting at 
I started out with an insecurity that the rest of the guys could play basketball and I couldn't. And what I did was applied myself to get rid of that threat of me not knowing how to play basketball and feeling intimidated by it. And that's what we have to do. Some of the things that are threatening to us, we have to challenge it. Because you can get a codependent person or someone who's going to be an enabler. But that person that's going to help you challenge those insecurities is the person you really need in your life for the most part. Because once they neutralize that insecurity, you can help them with their insecurities. And that's how these people who stay together 20, 30, 40 years, that's how they do it. They're each other's rock. You hear that a lot of times in relationships. That was my rock. That means that that was a person that provided emotional stability. And these things are vital in relationships. They steady them. And it comes from both parties. You help each other. There was a lady that I dated, and her biggest fear, I mean, she was hypervigilant. I went out with her about four times. And uh, I'll never forget it. Our first date, after the bill came, I went on and paid the bill. She said, hold on, how much is that bill? And I said, don't worry about it, I got it. She said, no, I want to know. I don't want you owing anything. I said, I'm not going to owe anything. And she's rambling through her purse. I said, look, don't worry, I got it. And she says, okay, at least let me leave the tip. And I said, well, you don't need to leave that. I've included gratuity in the... And she looked at me and she sighed. And she says, I'm not a freeloader. I said, no, I never once said you were a freeloader. She says, I'm not one of these people that will just eat for free. And I'm like, no, or order something to take home. I said, no, you don't have to do all that. No, order something to take home. I said, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to ask you for sex or nothing like that. And I thought I didn't have to go to that level. And she stopped and looked at me. And she said, you really mean that? I said, yeah. And then she just looked and she said, okay. Close her purse. Went on, took her home. Next day she calls me up, apologizing about the way she acted. And she said, I'm just sorry because most of the guys I've gone out with, that's what they were expecting. And I'd walk out. I said, no problem. No big deal. No harm, no foul. Well, the next day, there was this thing called rollerblading back in the day. It was very popular. Well, Guess who couldn't rollerblade? You got it. I bust my ass the first time I put them damn things on. My legs went from under me and damn, they went up to my shoulders. And I landed back first on the ground. And I was like, ah, shit. This is worse than being in a fight. And she was like, oh, no, you just got to balance yourself. You got to bow your feet in. And I tried that fell again. 
And so the guy out there, he saw me, he was like, hey, um, here, you can rent this hat and these uh, pads, you'll need them. And I was, I was padded up. I had a pad for every part of my body down there. And so she grabbed me by the hand and pulled me along. And we went down and then finally I got my stride. Then the one problem I didn't have, I didn't know about, I didn't know how to stop. I ain't gonna lie, I fucked up somebody's picnic. These people were on the beach, and we were on that little two-lane uh, roadway by the beach, and they were right there on the side of the uh, roadway. And with that little food out in there, I fell right into that shit. I knocked all that shit over. And they were just as nice. Oh, wow, we didn't expect a guest. And I'm sitting there, I got damn tuna fish on my knee. It was messed up. I had knocked over all that punch. And I went on to pay for all the stuff that I messed up. I gave them some money for that. And she just couldn't stop laughing. She was laughing so hard. And she teased me the whole time. And, well, I exposed the vulnerability. My vulnerability was I didn't know how to skate. What I didn't know was the next night, the next time we dated, I think it was that Friday night. She says, I don't want you to clear everything off of your schedule. So I did. And I came over to her house. And usually she was dressed very conservatively, business suit, all of that. She didn't have not one stitch of clothes on when she answered that door. Wrapped her arms around my neck, gave me a kiss, and told me to get naked, and we're going to get busy. And the thing was, when we were together, she laid up there and talked to me and told me, since that night when we were first together, when we first went to dinner, she said they had an impression on her, and she really liked that. And she told me she hadn't had sex in so long. And I ain't gonna lie to you, I thought I was gonna have to have a rape kit done because this woman was like, oh my ass. And then we went out the next week and asked when she got her papers for a job. And she said, they're sending me to Washington, D.C. to go work. And I want you to go with me. And I'm like, I can't go to D.C. I'll come see you, but I can't go. That ended our relationship, but it was a good one. And we're still friends to this day. She teases me about busting my ass over there on that damn strand out there. And she never let me live down the picnic table thing. It was embarrassing. But, well, it wasn't a table. It had a blanket out. But, you know, those things happen. But the thing is, a lot of people are very vulnerable when they're exposing their insecurities. I was very vulnerable at that time. So you have to remember that sometimes it works to your advantage as a couple. We'll talk again. Not the stupidest thing I've ever done that uh, 
I tried to fight my fears on. See, when I was little, I used to get in the swing and, you know, I'd swing, but I wouldn't do nothing crazy. I was on a date with a lady one evening and she wanted to go on the swings. They had these huge swing in this park down there in Cerritos. Well, I got onto it and I started swinging and she was swinging real high. I mean, the damn thing looked like it was gonna loop over. She was up so high. And she was laughing, and I went on and got on there. So what I was going to try to do, <laughs> I called myself trying to be like the people on the Olympics, right? You know, you do the dismounts. Well, I got my ass up there, got my momentum going, and I got way up there, and then I decided that what I was going to do is jump out of the swing, do a couple of somersaults, and land on my feet. Well, it didn't work out that way. You know how they have the barbecue grills that are nearby? I missed that thing by, I'll see, six inches. That concrete was hard as hell. I thought I'd broke something. She got off the swing, came to see if I was okay. And I got up. And I asked myself, what the fuck am I doing? But I realized that was a challenge. I used to be afraid to do that when I was little. And I took it upon myself to try to assert my manhood. I didn't realize the ground, I think the ground took classes just to get that hard. That concrete was hard as hell. But a few aches and pains, she patched me up, I got over it. But we will always have insecurities in our lives of some form. Now, one of the most embarrassing are those revealed by friends, families, and people that really know you. <laughs> when you're not ready to reveal an insecurity to your partner and they happen to let you know what it is. I found out that a lady that I was going out with had an insecurity. She didn't like to be tickled. You tickled her, she'll kick you, just like a mule, damn near. And I made it a point one night that I was going to tickle her while she was sitting there watching television, and I did. She couldn't get her feet up. And as I was tickling her, she farted and she peed on herself. And what I didn't realize was that was a trigger. She was so mad at me. She was embarrassed, but she was angry. Didn't speak to me for a week. And I felt bad because her family told me about that. And I realized that pushed it too far and apologized out my ass for it. And it took her a long time to forgive me. And then she started tickling me. And it kind of worked. But I'm not that ticklish. But what I found was that after we had gone through that experience, she told me, 
you know, I apologize for the way I reacted with you. I apologize for the way I treated you. She said, but that was something that was really invasive. And I apologized to her. And she says, but you know what? I need to grow up. And she pulled up her blouse and she said, now tickle me. And I was reluctant. I said, no, because you're going to react like you did. She took my hands and she forced my hands under her blouse in order to tickle her. But she was trying to be slick. She pushed my hand down into her crotch. And she said, well, why don't you tickle that? And <laughs> she, of course, made me blush. She embarrassed me. But that was her way of getting back. But some people have different ways. There are some people that are very defensive about their insecurities. I remember one time we were sitting in the Catholic club in Moreno Valley, in Moreno Valley in California. And this club had a pink Cadillac in the center with the white top and everything. And we were sitting there at a table, and my buddy Chris. And there was this lady that walked up and sat at the table beside us. Well, you know there are certain people that have more white than they do people in their eyes? And her eyes, they looked like they were about ready to come out of her head. And so every time Chris looked over there, she smiled at Chris, and Chris would see those eyes, and he'd start laughing and start giggling. Well, what we didn't know was there were two Caucasian women on the other side of the club that were looking at us. And I kind of noticed when I looked up, they were whispering to each other, and I thought, you know, girls talk to each other. And so Chris whispered in my ear what the lady next to him was doing and he said I need to go and ask this girl to dance before she looks over here again and I bust out laughing and so just as he said that I looked at her and Chris looked over at her and she looked over at us and she was smiling high with the vice and Chris busted up right about her and they went on the dance <coughs> well these women that were looking at us at the table they walked all the way over to our side of the club. And they leaned over. And the woman said, I know you were laughing at us the whole time. You should be ashamed of yourself. You know, we're out here trying to support you guys and you're sitting here laughing at us. And she and her girlfriend walked out. And I'm like, what was that all about? She's pointing her finger, trying to point it in my face and I'm, guiding it away the whole time her friend was a little obese and she was in there in these cowgirl boots and this uh, cardigan jacket I mean sweater and she thought the whole time that we were talking about her and she stormed out of there and then a waitress came over and she says uh I heard them over there talking about you guys, laughing at them. I said, I wasn't laughing at them. We were laughing at the girl on the floor. She said, I thought so. I tried to tell them that, but they wouldn't believe it. Chris goes back off the dance floor, and he's just giggling. But 
what more can you say? When something like that occurs, sometimes people misinterpret and it triggers that insecurity. Those women had no idea that we'd never ever thought about them, let alone talk about laughing. And they took it to heart that we were making fun of them. And you have some people that are that sensitive and it's really sad when that happens. Really sad. Now, you have certain type of familial problems that may be taking place that you're not aware of. Mom and daughter may not get along. And so, daughter brings you over to meet the parents. Mom may reveal something that's embarrassing just to swipe at the daughter. That's not a good thing. And you don't want to be involved in the middle of uh, situations like that. What did my mama tell you? Oh, she didn't say that. I know she said something negative, that bitch, blah, 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 blah. And then they start looking at you as if you were involved in that. And it's kind of difficult to extricate yourself from something like that because even if you're not listening to what mama is saying about the kid or dad is saying about the kid and when I say kid I'm talking about an adult their child that you're dating and your partner is under the impression that oh they're trying to influence you oh you've been influenced you've been tainted and then they look at you differently as if you're with them and this is another problem that you may face I had this problem before in the past It's not a good thing. It's not a good situation to be in. And I learned how to handle it. When they start going and start, you know, getting into that rot gut shit, I get up and prepare to leave. Because you don't want to get involved in it. And the insecurity could very well be that the parent had given that child that at an early age and they're still going at it as a grown person. So you have to watch those kind of situations not to get involved in that. Now, there's another type of insecurity that you will see commonly, and men see this a lot. And ladies, this is not complimentary. When you ladies cut down other women. You just go in on them. And you're sitting there. And it's very vicious. Now, some women do this. Because the woman may be outfitted or maybe more attractive than they are. And they're trying to marginalize that woman's threat by going after her, talking about her with a man. We're not your girlfriends, ladies. We don't want to hear that shit. If that woman is fine and she's finer than you, we're looking. I used to feel guilty when Monica would be walking out on the beach somewhere. Monica said, you know, she's a good looking woman. 
And I'm like, I'm trying to be respectful, looking straight ahead. She said, no, honey, look at her. And I'm like, oh, she said, honey, I want you to look at that woman. And I'm like, damn. I'm like, I know if I look, I'm in trouble. So I wanted to protect her insecurity. But she wasn't insecure. That was the thing. I didn't know it. I was being respectful. She turned my head around that woman. I looked at her and she said, you like those tan lines? I was like, yeah. She said, well, this summer, I'm gonna have some serious tan lines because I'm gonna be a dark olive color. And oh yeah, you're gonna like what you see. And sure enough, she did it. But the way she dealt with her insecurities by exposing them. There are a lot of insecurities that people have. And you never know when you will trigger them. And in some cases, you never knew they were sensitive in certain areas. And a friend of mine went on a date with a woman. She started talking about her dog. And he told her, I don't like dogs. Boy, that was Vietnam for him. Yeah, that was the worst thing he could have said. But ladies, to tell you the truth, those little ankle biters, we really don't like them fuckers, but we'll deal with them. I'm <laughs> just honest with you. It's not that we hate dogs, and I can't speak for all men, but it's like we look at dogs that just bark and do nothing because they're small. It's like, okay, the burglar gets in the house, what the hell is he going to do, keep barking? He's just going to irritate the burglar. We think, well, you need something that's going to tear off in the person's ass, protect you. So we have a different perspective. You know, you like to hold them and call them your babies and those kind of things. And their breath stink because they've been licking their balls and butt. It's not that we're insensitive to animals or don't like them. We also look for utility in the animal. Except for a few. Like an alpaca. What the fuck does an alpaca do? Really? A kiwi bird. A kiwi bird, poor fella, feel sorry for him. He's fucked for life. He has stub wings, feet, a beak, and two eyes. That's a hell of a thing to be left on this planet with. He has no flames, no claws. He has no way of building something that will protect him. He's fucked. I look at a Cornish hen, another fucked animal. Poor thing. Just think about it. Your whole existence is to be on somebody's dinner plate in Thanksgiving and Christmas. And God help you, what happened to the Cornish roosters? Those guys wind up in your sausage plate. I do have a bias towards cats. But I like dogs too, but I like cats as well. One reason why I like cats is because they can maintain themselves. They don't really need, they like attention, but they don't need your interaction. They only need people when it comes down to feeding them. The rest of the time, they're like, hell, leave me alone. I can deal with that. So it all depends. 
But the one thing I want you to get out of this, more so than anything, is revealing imminent threats very important in the beginning of any dating arrangement. It's best, if you have something like that, to lay off dating until you get that settled. The other thing I would tell you is when it comes down to any threats that will affect the relationship if you were to get into one, reveal them before you're intimate. Any kind of STDs or anything of that sort. It will help. It will help immensely. And it will build the confidence between your partner and yourself. If a person says they're not, it says that they're ticklish, be very careful about that, guys, because they will kick the shit out of you. So understand that some people get mad when you tickle them, so don't, you know, you got to respect them on that level. Don't allow yourself to get into it because of the fact that it's a vulnerability. These are things that will help you. Now, one other thing to understand, too, about these uh, insecurities. They'll be very defensive until that person feels comfortable enough to share it. As you know, with men, we don't share our insecurities that often with women. Usually, many women can pick it off when they see a guy trying to be too hyper-macho. They can also see it when a guy is dragging his feet and she has to take him along in the relationship. She likes him, but he doesn't feel as though he deserves her as as an example. And it gets frustrating. People don't like really dealing with (coughs) insecurities too long. So, if that insecurity is something that's going to overwhelm you, you may want to work on that before you start getting into a relationship. These are some of the reasons why most relationships only last about 90 days. Because you get a chance to really get a full macro view of the individual by that time. So the things that attracted you to the person, it was just window dressing. When you see what's actually there, that's when you'll start making a hard decision. And it can be very intimidating at times. Well, anyway, I want you folks to take care. Love you all. Be good to each other. Anchor.fm backslash romantic truth. Subscribe. And also, you can get us on facebook.com backslash romantic truth. And all of the other platforms, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, well, Apple Podcasts. We're also on I Heart Radio, you name it, we're there. Just type in Romantic Truth Podcast. And I thank you once again for listening. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, 
you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.